Welcome to the D-Shift Podcast, where we provide inspiration, motivation, and education to help you transition from the challenges of divorce to discover the freedom and ability to live life on your own terms. Are you ready? Let's get this shift started. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the D-Shift Podcast. And for all you people who are worried about your financial stuff, I have got the perfect guest today. Uh, I would like to welcome Kaki Perdue. She is an advice-only financial planner, and she has her own company called Look Both Ways Financial, which I think is a great name, by the way. So (laughs) it's one of those names that sticks in your head. Um, She's a certified financial planner and a certified public accountant. And like I say, she offers advice-only financial planning. So Kaki, welcome to the show. Thank you, Marty. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Well, and I'm excited too, because I think you bring a completely different perspective on this. We've had other financial planners and people who have come on the show who are more geared towards a specific product or a specific service. Um, But I want to talk to you about what an advice-only financial planner is. But before we get into that, I would like you to tell us a little bit about your background and why this is your area of passion. Yeah, so I started my career in public accounting as a CPA, worked at a CPA firm for over 10 years. And I also got to lead the mentoring program while I was at the firm, which I loved. It was, I really enjoyed mentoring. And I shifted, I was, you know, a year away from making partner. And I thought, what does my life look like as a partner? And then what does my life look like as a chief financial officer? Because I had a role in front of me. So I decided to make the switch. And I worked as a chief financial officer for a technology company for six years. Um, I've learned a lot about budgeting and uh, strategic planning. And then my friends started asking me, hey, Kaki, I have some extra money and I don't know what to do with it. Or I'm in a little bit of debt and I just, I don't know where to go from here. And I found that the best hour of my whole week was the hour that I spent helping those friends or family. And some people, sometimes it was people I didn't even know. They're just like, my friends referred me somebody to talk to. And I said, okay, I have to do this full time. And that's when I pivoted and um, decided to go become a certified financial planner. Now, why is my firm advice only? Um, That's a very different route than the traditional financial planning firms, right? I wanted to create a firm that I needed when I was 25 and 30 and 35, that I, I, I needed that, that service. And I genuinely believe that everyone has a right to solid, real financial planning, regardless of their net worth. So that's what I'm trying to provide. Oh, I love that idea. Because so many, I mean, so many people that I know and I've worked with through the divorce have gone to financial planners and because they have a relatively low income or a low net worth, um, it's kind of like, well, this isn't really the service you need or it's, you know, it's $85,000 up front. <laughs> Not quite that bad, but you know, it's eight, it's $8,000 to work with me for a year. And, you know, these, these people maybe have $5,000 to invest. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to go to go that route. So what's another advantage to that um, advice only uh, financial planning? It, it, it Does it open up the doors for people to consider maybe options that you wouldn't if you were going to a 
financial planner selling program A or program B? Right. So that's a good question. Um, the advice only, the biggest selling feature for me is that I'm, I'm in a fiduciary 100% of the time. And if, if you work with somebody that works for a firm, insert any large you know, investment firm name here, they, are, they might be paid a commission on investments that they put in your portfolio. They might not. Um, they might be, be influenced by selling you um, mutual funds that their firm manages and that are proprietary to their firm. And they get paid by the firm that they're working for. So there's a much larger potential for conflict of interest. When I'm doing advice only, the biggest conflict of interest is, are we working on an hourly basis? And, you know, how many hours is this going to take? Um, but there's not any conflicts of interest around products that I'm recommending because I'm not receiving any kind of compensation for those products. Right. So I might... And, and I like to look at things in a goal-based manner. So what are your financial goals and how can we accomplish those goals? And then we're going to look at different ways to get there with investments. And how can we do that with limited risk? So that way you're not having to take on additional risk and in a cost-effective manner. How can we do this with using perhaps low-cost index funds? Because Marty, this is the crazy thing. On Wall Street, they have all these geniuses working on these, you know, mutual funds, right? But, but even with all those geniuses getting paid so much money on Wall Street, only two out of ten times in any given year is the managed mutual fund going to beat the the index that it's trying to, to you know, that it's it's parallel to. Right. Wow. So eight times out of ten, you're better off using a low cost index fund. And uh, sometimes advisors that are compensated by their large firms and they're not complete fiduciaries are not going to put you in that low-cost index fund. Yeah. So you've used a word a couple of times that I want to just take a step back um, because I think I understand what it means, but I would like to hear from an expert. Fiduciary, what does that specifically mean to me as the consumer going to you when you say you have full fiduciary duty to me? What, what does that mean? Yeah. So a fiduciary means that I'm legally obligated to put your best interest ahead of my own. I have to keep your best interest in mind. Um, there's another standard out there called the um, suitability standard. And suitability is way less vigorous. And that if, if, a, if out of all the financial advisors out there, maybe 10% of them are fiduciaries, the other 90% are using the suitability standard. Suitability is more like, well, yeah, kind of. I, th I can come up with a reason why this would sort of maybe meet your needs. And it, and so it's quite, it's quite different. Okay. So if, if I go to somebody like you're obviously not yourself because you are a full fiduciary um, financial planner. If I went to another financial planner in any other firm, could I ask them, are you a fiduciary? Can I ask that question? Yes, you can and you should ask that. Okay. And don't get me wrong, there may be perfectly good financial advisors that also take your, you know, best interest at heart um, out there working for large firms that are also charging in a different structure than I do. Um, but 
You just definitely, the best thing to ask is if they're a fiduciary. Okay. And, and so I like that, that that's a, that's an important question to ask. Um, because we're all, we're all about being open and honest and finding the best professionals. And so again, there are, you know, like you said, Kaki, there are great professionals that are working for big companies. There's great professionals working for small companies and there's lousy professionals <laughs> working for best of those companies. Same for attorneys, doctors, teachers, you know, you name it. So it, it's really important to, um, do your homework and know what kind of questions to ask. So let's talk a little bit, if you don't mind, about what you actually do with people. And I believe, because you and I talked a little bit before this, uh, it's been a couple of months now since we spoke, but I think one of the things that I was really impressed with is how you help people maybe look at setting priorities around what to do with their money or what do they want to see done with their money. And I'm thinking for people, especially for women going through the divorce process, there might be a lump sum money that comes at some point in time, either as part of the settlement or there's going to be, you know, some kind of a, maybe an alimony or child support or whatever. What, what happens or what, how do you help people prioritize what they should do with that? That is a great question. I, as I mentioned earlier, I like goal-based financial planning. And it helps to have, a, you know, have that flag of what am I working towards and why am I going to sacrifice today for that future goal? So I like goal-based planning. I like the, then we set up, goals of what do we, how, how do we need this money to work for you? Do you have a um, emergency fund set up and is it the right amount? And let's face it, coming out of, out of a divorce, there's so much uncertainty and angst and you may or may not be relaunching into a new career. The list goes on and on. So I am probably thinking that we're going to might need a larger safety fund than maybe somebody else that's been working in the same job for 20 years and has feels like they have total job security. And then after we, then we will take a look at an ongoing annual spend and income and create a forward looking intentional spending plan. A lot of people hate budgets. Budgets are, are they stink, man? <laughs> Who wants to count every dollar along the way, right? You know, in that divorce, you have to do that detailed budget and it drives people crazy. Like literally, how much do you spend on toothpaste? That's almost the detail it gets down to. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I, don't, I don't like that. It's, I, it's not very fun. So I prefer to do a forward-looking thoughtful spending plan, intentional thoughtful spending plan. And it's meant to be, it's meant to be like 85%, the 80, 20 rule, you know, get it like 80% there. So it's, it's big picture. You know, you need to know how much money you're bringing in and you need to know what your fixed costs are. You need, you need to know what the rent's going to cost, childcare, if you have it, you know, elect, utilities, it can be an average, um, but we need to know these numbers. Yeah. And once we have that big, big picture, then we can decide and allocate if there's discretionary funding in this pot of incoming money every month, how do we want to allocate that? Whether it's, you know, contributing to a Roth IRA or employer-sponsored retirement plan, 
or um, maybe you want to do um, college savings for your children and setting up a 529 plan. Um, we will work through based on your goals where we should allocate that money. And if you've received, let's say you've received a one-time big divorce settlement, then we again, we want to be very thoughtful about when and how we're going to invest that money because timeline matters. Yeah. If you're not, if you think you might need to be spending the money anytime in the next one, three, even five years, we do not want that money in the stock market because if, the, if we get a big correction and the market yeah. tanks 20%, it can take three years for the market to come back. And so that money does not belong in the stock market, period. And, yeah. and there's other, luckily, there's other options for, for, you know, earning some interest along the way. What about, what about, and I hear this all the time with, with women going through divorce, and it doesn't seem to matter what their level of income is, is what about the feeling of, I don't have any discretionary income right now. Um, and, and I'm thinking particularly during the divorce process where nothing's in place, there's no temporary orders, there's nothing. Like everybody's just kind of doing their own thing with it, when it comes to money. Um, what, what do you suggest? Should people wait until they, and I'm, this may be kind of putting you on the spot, so I'm not asking you to give anybody legal advice or make any determination, but does it make sense to come and see you before they have a clear picture of what, that divorce settlement might look like or what, you know, uh, a lump sum payment might look like or what assets they're going to pull out of the divorce? Or does it make more sense to wait until they have a clearer picture and then go and talk to you about what to do next? Well, it's always helpful to know ahead of time if they're expecting um, a settlement. We can do some simple things, even as just setting them up a, a brokerage account and where like, a, which is, a, a, a smart way to plop the money in and brokerage accounts right now, you know, you can invest in a money market fund and, and be earning around 5%. So that way you can have, you have a holding spot for that money to land. That's, that's even going to earn you some interest in the interim period. I think it's also helpful to have a plan ahead of time. Always better to plan first and then adjust as you go along. It can be real easy to spend some of that money that comes in from the settlement in maybe not the smartest way, because let's face it, we're coming out of a divorce, and I've never been through a divorce, but I, you know, I have friends that have and relatives. If you're coming out of a divorce, sometimes you're not thinking clearly and you're loaded down with tons of emotions. And and it's just tough. So having a plan ahead of time can help sometimes prevent unforced errors. Yeah. You've got a really neat term that you used the last time that we spoke about, and that's revenge spending. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, you know, I it's funny. I, I have another pi picture. We'll talk about revenge spending too, but imagine, I want you to imagine that you have a backpack on and two suitcases and you're standing on a boat. And the backpack and suitcases are loaded with like really important stuff. And something happens and you end up in the water and you ha still have your backpack and suitcases. If you're going to survive, you have to let go of those suitcases to swim. And you, you, you have to let go in order to swim. Well, now imagine that the backpack is the divorce 
And the suitcases are the emotional baggage that come along with the divorce. It could be, it could be disappointment. It could be anger. It could be sadness, you know, any range of emotions. Sure. As you exit that divorce to really thrive, you need to be able to let go of those suitcases so that you can swim. And revenge spending, if you don't let go of those suitcases, then guess what can pop up is revenge spending. And it's because I'm not feeling enough. I feel sad. I feel lonely. I feel what, you know, insert emotion here. Because I don't feel enough, then I'm going to overspend and go spend too much. And and that can come in the fit form of handbags or cars or jewelry or, you know, whatever. You're spending because it's 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 the the emotional outlet. Yeah. So yeah. being able to recognize that is huge. And it's okay to feel the emotions. Of course you're gonna feel the emotions. Um so learning to avoid that, if you can avoid that revenge spending, that's amazing. And part of it is learning to drop those emotional suitcases so you can swim. Yeah. And, and I appreciate that because I honestly work with my clients a lot on that is how to get rid of those emotions because that does happen. I have worked with people who have bought condos in different states that they don't even particularly like visiting that state. <laughs> They got, you know, somebody has presented this opportunity to make this fantastic investment in this condo that's going to be an Airbnb. And they've spent like $250,000 in a partnership in this condo. And it's, it's, they're never going to see that money again. They're not going to be able to get it back. And it's just like gone because now they're in with another group of people who don't want to sell. So then they got to find somebody to buy them out. It's just, oh my gosh, I've heard so many horror stories about this kind of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's sort of the same with, obviously, when you're going through a divorce, you're also going through a tremendous loss. If, if somebody loses a parent or a spouse, or if they, if they have a, a, a death and they're, they've lost a close loved one, we recommend not spending any money, not making any, not spending money is not right, not making any major financial decisions, selling a house, buying a condo. For at least nine months, right? Post because you need time for your for your brain to settle back into. Okay, this is my new normal. Yeah, yeah. And I think that for a lot of women, and I think that's where like divorce coaching can really help is letting people know this is going to happen after the divorce. This is normal. You're going to experience. You're going to have this yo-yo emotion. You're going to have this this kind of sense of like, but your whole world just shifts like overnight. And all of a sudden, um, you know, you're going from maybe a two income, fairly affluent um, financial situation as a couple to a single parent, one income, far less affluent because divorce hurts both sides. Nobody gets rich during the divorce in most cases. So both, both um, partners see a drop in that income. So definitely. Um, That's right. I have one more comment on that too, Marty, to add on. You know, if you come out of the divorce and you end up with a bucket of credit card debt, I think the best thing is like, don't beat yourself up. Say, say to yourself, okay, this is my, this is my starting point. This is my step zero. And this is now my responsibility. And I know I'm capable of handling this. 
And what are the steps I need to do to move forward? Right. Uh, right. But you don't have to beat yourself up if you, if you overspend and make mistakes. Just own it. Own yeah. it. Say, yep, I did that when I was not in my best self. And move on and, yeah. and figure out a way to move forward. Yeah. And one thing I have noticed, Kaki, and I, and I don't know, I, I don't certainly work with people at the financial depth that you do. Um, I'm more superficial, but credit card companies, especially since COVID, seem to be a lot more accommodating if you go to them and you say, hey, I've got this problem. I've been through a divorce. Can we work on a repayment plan? They seem to be, and I'm not saying broad sweep every single credit card company, but most of my clients seem to be getting a more positive response from them as opposed to before it was like, no, (laughs) that's your payment schedule. These are the penalties. These are the fines. Pay it. It's always worth a phone call to ask. It never hurts to ask. And credit card companies have to spend a lot of money to bring in new customers. So if they can keep you as a customer... And if you can be nice to them on the phone and let them know that you like working with them, that you've been a longtime customer, that you want to stay with them, and you want to have a lower interest rate, yeah. they may say yes. That that's what I was going to say. A lot of them are willing to drop that drop that interest rate. Sometimes by you know a few percentage, which makes a big difference if you've got a big credit card debt. So it is worth yeah. looking into. I know one of the other things that you focus on, and I and I also know that we're almost out of time, which drives me crazy because we just get into these conversations and like 20 minutes are gone. Um, helping women or people in general um, feeling strong and safe and secure about their finances. How how does what you do help accomplish that goal for your for your clients? Yeah, Marty, I always tell people when I'm introducing my firm. My goal is to help my clients feel safe, strong, and secure managing their own money. There's no more power, I think, in the world than standing in your own truth and and say and and stand in your own power. And let's face it, basically everything we do in our daily lives requires money. And if you are in to control of your money and you're standing your own power of your own money, then you yourself can also become powerful in other parts of your life. And let, and they don't really teach personal finance in school, like hardly at all. And if they did, we've forgotten it. So I'm there to help along the way with the nuances and to teach and to, and to, to help, offer new suggestions and other ways to think through complex problems. But at the end of our process, after we've worked together for a time period, my clients feel so much stronger and safer with their money because they understand what's in their portfolio. They understand why they're investing the way they're investing and they know where their money is. And that's powerful. And knowing that what you're, any advice that you're giving them or information or education you're giving them is, is from that fiduciary client's best interest. There's nothing, there's no ulterior motive in any, any advice that you give them or anything you talk about with them. That's right. We create, and we create simple portfolios and simple is elegant. Think Audrey Hepburn, elegant, simple. Yeah. And, and it's the same in investing portfolios. Investment, you know, invest money managers all over. They love to create all this crazy complexity because then they can justify their fees. When in reality, a very simple portfolio can get the job done and can get the job done beautifully. 
So when you, when you learn and figure out that simple portfolio, it's also easy to understand. Yeah, wonderful. Um, so Kaki, we've covered a whole bunch of information. And actually, I think that last part almost was like really a highlight for me just to think of things as simple as possible. What do you think is sort of the golden nugget of wisdom that's important to keep top of the mind after this conversation? I think it's to continue to educate yourself with, and, and you're a podcast listener, whoever's listening, you're already, you're already doing step number one, which is listening to, to this podcast, which is going to give you information. Keep listening and always trust your gut. If a financial advisor or a divorce coach or anybody tells you to do something and it doesn't sit right with you, it's, it's just a little unsettling, trust your gut. Don't do it. Say pause. Pause and research and ask for advice from other folks and get a second opinion and then a third opinion. But don't do something blindly or if you don't understand it or if you have a bad feeling, just don't do it. Yeah, I, I couldn't back that. That's a 100% statement I will back. any If your attorney, your divorce coach, your financial planner, your um, energy healer, I don't care who it is. If anybody you're working with says, do this and it just doesn't feel right, then yeah, I'm with you. Don't do it. Unless until you research more and find out what might be behind that recommendation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If people want to reach out to you, find out more about what you do or, or get in touch with you and say, Hey, I want to get, I want to feel stronger, safer, and better about my finances. What's the best way to get in touch with you? My website is lookbothwaysfinancial.com. And my email is khaki, K-A-K-I, at lookbothwaysfin.com. And I will be also launching a podcast soon called Look Both Ways Financial. So look for that in December. Definitely, definitely. And um, uh, this will, uh, yeah. Your podcast will be out by the time this comes out. So everybody needs to go look on their favorite podcast uh, site, wherever it may be, Spotify, Apple, Amazon, whatever you look on and find Look Both Ways. I love this. Thank you so much, Kaki. Thank you, Marty, for having me. This is wonderful. Thank you. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in and listening. I know I've learned some stuff and I'm going to do a little more thinking on my finances now after having this conversation. Um, I want to thank you for, for listening in and welcome you back to another episode of the D-Shift Podcast dropping next Tuesday. Thanks for listening and supporting the D-Shift Podcast. If you would like to attend live trainings by our amazing guests and have a chance to ask questions and get answers from our experts, join the D-Shift crew. For more details and to sign up, head on over to www.divorcecoachforwomen and click on the podcast page.